Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be ever acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. In your name, amen. So this morning, we are continuing our Stepping Out from the Crowd series, and I'm going to take us on a little diversion, um, and I'm going to shift the focus just a little bit. And I want us to look at the idea, not just of what it means for us to step out of the crowd, but what it means for us to stand out from the crowd. Um, What makes us distinctive and compelling as people who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus together. Um, So we're going to be talking about outreach, we're going to be talking about evangelism, and that's an interesting word depending on your experience. Um, And so we're going to get into that based on this passage here in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 to 11. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats. One, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long and have caught nothing. But if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish they had, they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. So before we get into the kind of meat of it, I want to um, take a quick look um, at the dynamics happening here in the relationships within this passage. Um, So much of what we unconsciously believe to be true about God comes out in our inner lives whenever we imagine God speaking to us or to others. The tone with which God speaks, the voice with which Jesus speaks, what's in that voice says something about what we believe about the heart of God when we imagine a story like this. When you hear, when you read Jesus saying, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch, how do you hear this? What's his tone? What's his body language? Is he smiling or is he sternly commanding? What are his eyes saying? Because our eyes so often say more than our mouths. The more I learn about Jesus, the more I think I'm beginning to appreciate his playfulness. He is sitting in a boat manned by fishermen who have been fishing all night and have caught nothing. And they fish at night because fish prefer cooler water. So at night, they come up, to, they come up towards the surface, but during the day and in the heat of the day, they tend to drop down to the deeper, colder water. The, the disciples, or the soon-to-be disciples, are exhausted, frustrated, and they want to get home to bed. They're worried about their finances and their families. This is their livelihood. And it may feel like it's slipping away from them. And then Jesus comes along and he uses their workplace as a pulpit from which to preach. And as they're preaching, I'm sure they're struggling to pay attention because they're, they're asking themselves questions. How much am I going to have to catch tonight in order to make up for what I didn't catch last night? And how am I going to find some time to sleep in between so that I'm actually even able to get through the night? And then finally, Jesus is finishing off, and they're thinking, oh, finally, I can get home, and collapse into bed. And he says to them, let's put out into the water and do some fishing. Can you imagine the twinkle in his eye? 
This to me is Jesus' divine mischief. And for Simon Peter, it must be infuriating. He manages to put a brave face on it. I love the way that the language is always framed. Master, we have worked all night long, but I've caught nothing. But if you say so, (laughs) how much of scripture, I wonder, was actually said through gritted teeth? We've worked all night, but if you say so, I will put out and we will put down the nets. If Peter is anything like me, he has mastered um, what I like to call my angry, sarcastic, muttering voice. Do you have one of them? Well, just put the nets down, Peter. Let's see if we catch anything, Peter. Why am I taking fishing directions from a carpenter anyway? How would he react if I told him how to make a door? Maybe we'll catch some fish during the day. Unbelievable. He must be out of his. And he's pulling these nets up and suddenly it catches. And he feels a weight to the net and it's starting to, it's starting to pull at him. And he's going, what is this? And it's the first century. It's not the Liffey. It's not a shopping trolley. He knows there's something <laughs> in these nets that's worth selling or eating or something. And it just keeps going. It's bigger, it's heavier than he's ever seen. He's barely able to maintain his foothold. He's shouting over to his friends as he tries to hold on to his balance. And it feels like the boat is going to sink from the weight of all the fish that they're pulling into this boat. And this whole time, where do you imagine Jesus? I imagine him standing beside Peter, pulling in these nets with him, laughing hysterically. And I imagine Peter finds this bemusing, and infuriating at the same time. In your inner life, when was the last time you heard Jesus laugh? When was the last time you were overwhelmed by his playfulness or mystified by his mischief? Does your Jesus smile? Does he have kind eyes that draw you closer? If we are gonna be a compelling and a contagious community of faith, I think we need to have an experience of Jesus Or rather, we need to experience in Jesus the goodness, the kindness, and the mischief that drew people to him in his day. I think his miracles were what captured crowds, but sometimes I think it was his mischief that drew the disciples into that close space where they're willing to leave everything to follow him. And then we go on to the bit in the passage that, as I was reading it, I really wanted to avoid because it's on my list of things that I wish Jesus didn't say. He goes on, he says, don't worry, from now on you'll be catching people. Jesus, you can't say that. You can't just tell people you're going to go around catching people. Like, it's such a weird image. It makes me think of, like, that scene in, um, I think it's in Return of the Jedi, where the Ewoks capture, like, C-3PO and Luke Skywalker in this net booby trap in the woods, you know? They just get lifted up. Like, we're going to go out and we're going to fish for people. It's a weird, weird thing to say. In other translations, Jesus says, don't be afraid, I'll make you fishers of men. And I struggle with that image as well because of all the connotations that go with it in the world in which we live right now. How do you catch fish when you're fishing? With bait. And what do you do when you catch fish? You either eat them or sell them. Like there's no good part of this as in, in, like in modern language as I'm trying to talk about what it means for us to live out our faith with other people, people outside of our community. Because we're living in a world that for very good reasons is really suspicious of, the, of religion. And I don't think Jesus necessarily meant for us to dissect that language. I think it's more likely that Jesus was just saying that his life that used to be about one thing is now going to be about people. And I wonder if, if you were to fast forward through the Luke narrative, because there's the Gospel of Luke, and then he also wrote the Gospel of the uh, Acts of the Apostles. That if you fast forward into the first couple of chapters and 3,000 people become Christians, 
his mind shoots back to that moment where he's standing in a, bo- in a boat so full of fish that it feels like it's going to sink with these words echoing in his mind. 3,000 people weren't baited into the early church. They heard the story of Jesus. They experienced the people of Jesus. And they were touched by the power of the Holy Spirit moving in them. When it comes to us reaching out to people outside our community, many of us can feel really awkward about it, really scared about it, and it can be a really scary thing. Many of us will have had experiences of Christians trying to catch people and maybe we were the ones who people were trying to catch or maybe the ones doing the catching and I think some of us are kind of looking through some of those times in our lives and we're like, Jenny, did I really say that? Think that? Do that? Did I come across like, is it in bed knobs and broomsticks as like that group of kid catchers who are going around with nets trying to catch children? Chitty, chitty, bang, bang. That's what it is. That's why I couldn't find it on Google Images. <laughs> Way before my time, that's right, Tony. That's why I have you here. <laughs> Some of the approaches that we, I've experienced in the past around reaching out and evangelism have been like the kind of carrot and stick mentality. And the carrot is like, is, is the rewards. It's, it's, the, it's the heaven. One day you'll get to heaven, but if we have a faith that, only, that we have only embraced because it's going to take us somewhere else, it's still only based on what we want for ourselves. Some um, uh, descriptions of faith are, are just about how, um, are, are about dream and wish fulfillment, that Jesus will make all your dreams come true, like that if you just get him at the center of your plan, you'll get the life of all, of, that you'll get the life that you always wanted. And sometimes I worry that that's true, but not in the ways that I think it's going to be true, you know, like whenever you, um, like whenever you pray for strength, I generally find God doesn't give me strength, he gives me challenges that make me strong. You know what I mean? It's kind of like that story about the, two, the, the 60-year-old man who finds a lamp and rubs a genie, or sorry, rubs, rubs the lamp and a genie comes out, and the genie says, I'll give you one wish, and he goes, you know what? I wish my wife was 30 years younger than me, so the genie makes him 90. <laughs> um, it, kind of, it kind of goes the other direction, that, it, it, that, that the transformation that happens isn't the thing you were expecting, but it brings you to the result that you were actually looking for, that Jesus isn't making my dreams come true on my terms, Jesus has a dream for the world, and I fit into that, and there is my fulfillment, and my passion, and my transformation, and the goodness of God moving in us and through us, but it's not the way I would have designed it for myself, and thank God. But if that's what I'm drawn into, if it's just the carrot that brings me in, then I'm losing sight of what it's actually about. Or then there's the other side of it, and that's, that's the stick that can sometimes be used. And I think the sticks that have been used in the past are all around fear and shame. That we've seen Christians use fear and shame as a net with which to catch people. And when your only goal is to catch people, you don't tend to think too deeply or ask too many questions about your methodology. But it's led so much led to so much pain in the world that we love and in the people that we love. Where religious people have managed to weaponize fear and shame in a way that is destructive. At times in the past, our churches have been guilty of using fear and shame to bring people to a God whose perfect love casts out all fear and whose self-emptying sacrifice wipes away all shame. It would be hilariously ironic if it wasn't so heartbreaking. 
And yet what you see this in the life of Jesus that he never uses fear and shame. Instead, he liberates people from both. He says, constantly says to people, do not be afraid. He heals those who try to hurt him. He touches those in society that the society have declared untouchable. He trespasses over boundaries, lines in the sand that society has drawn when they declare who is in and who is out. There's nothing Jesus likes breaking more than those rules and those lines. He doesn't tell the woman caught in adultery that she should be afraid or ashamed. He says, neither do I condemn you. Fear and shame cannot be used to set people free because they only have the power to enslave. We know this from the world in which we live because this, use, this world in which we live uses fear and shame to enslave people all the time. We've seen this in recent political movements where fear of the other or fear of the immigrant or fear of the stranger has led people to draw lines and say, we want those people out. Fear of the poor that says that, that says the people are in the position they're in because it's their fault and they need to stay there in that place because we should be afraid of them. Fear of not fitting in to the, to the standards that our world has created for acceptability. Shame about our bodies, about our insecurities, about the money that we make, the place that we live, the things in our past. Our world weaponizes fear and shame in a way that destroys lives, builds boundaries, shatters communities, creates unjust systems that keeps the powerful in power and the oppressed oppressed. Only love and grace can bring liberation. And so if we're going to step out from the crowd and stand out from the world in which we live, we need to stop playing by the rules of fear and shame. We need to be people of love and grace. We don't believe that people need to change to be loved. We believe that love is what truly changes people. And love always provokes questions. In 1 Peter, I love what Peter says. He says, always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that you have and to do so with gentleness and respect. And I love the presumption that the hope that you have, that the love that you have, that the life that you live will invite questions from people that they'll say, why do you live like this? Why do you love me like this? Jesus is the answer to a question. He's not the beginning of a conversation. And the answer to a question is, why are you like this? Why do you love like are you still here with me? It's one of the things that I found powerfully true in my work as a chaplain that I'm figuring out. I always wonder what people who don't actually see me in UCD think I do all day, um, particularly my wife. Um, and there is, there is an image I think people have that I'm like around, you know, uh, you know, kind of, you know, sneaking, you know, hiding around corners, and those people are going to, have you heard about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? You know, like, that that's kind of the, you know, that I, what I'm out there doing, or like, you know, I'm, 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 you know, renting out the student center to get up there with a megaphone and be like, repent and perish ye. You know, that's not what I do. Um, one of the things that I've found has been really, really transformative to the way in which I've tried to work is that um, the conversation about spirituality and about faith and about religion, about what we believe life to be like and what we believe about what it means to be human, about who we were made by and what we were made for, is that that conversation truly matters most when it is started by the person asking the questions. And so we have this rule that I don't talk about faith in my one-on-one -on -one pastoral care with people unless they bring up faith, because then they own it. It's not my business to introduce that into the conversation. 
Because I think the way in which I was trained growing up was just I needed to, need to, to look for a loophole, look for a place in the conversation where I can say, you need Jesus. When actually, actually what you need maybe right now is you need, you need a cup of tea. Or you as a stranger who's new to this community, you need somebody who has learned your name and remembered it from one Sunday to the next. Or you in your loneliness and in your hurt and in your despair, you need company. You need to be known, you need to be seen, you need to be felt. You need to know that your presence here matters. I had this moment that this week just ruined my week um, in just, just, it's kind of hard to even describe, but I had a student who came to me and um, their story was just incredibly painful. And there, there was, I, I, we finished up our conversation and I was walking to a Chaffin's event that I had to go to. And do you ever have that thing where you're like trying to go from one thing to another in your life and you just can't get your head out of where you just were? And I realized that like, sometimes I talk to myself um, because I think that's healthy. Um, and, I, um, and I try to reframe, like kind of talk it out in my head, like what's going on here? Like what am I feeling? Like why did I walk away from that just feeling so raw and so vulnerable and so, um, so broken by that conversation? And I realized the only words that would come to me was like, it makes sense that you feel like this. You just held somebody's white hot pain for them. You held it in your hands. The only gift that you could give them, the only answer you could give them was to take that pain from them and just hold it in your hands just for a few minutes for a respite, for reprieve, just for a break, just so that they could catch their breath, but they would still leave with it. But it makes sense that it hurts. And it makes sense that you're feeling it. And it is the gift that you could give. As a community, we need to be figuring out what is the loving gift that I can give to the people God has connected my life with? What does it mean for me to live and love well with those I am, for those that I am called to. Catching people sounds like such a terrifying term. But there's also another potential um, understanding of this passage. Because water in the ancient Near East in the first century actually had a, particularly open water, held a lot of really symbolic meaning. It's something that I've talked about before. But living in that world at that time, you had a strange relationship with water. You needed it to drink and to grow your crops or to fish from. You needed, to be, you, needed to be, you needed it to be falling from the sky, coming through a river or nearby in a lake. You could never journey too far from it because your life depended on it. But at any moment, that water could, could destroy your life. A famine, or sorry, a drought could ruin your crops and, and you would be lost without it. And yet at the same time, a storm could rise up and you could lose your life overnight. Or floods, could, the river banks could burst and flood your fields. And so you felt like you were dependent on this and yet on the, at the mercy of it. It was like the, the, uh, the gods they had described of this age, these kind of um, uh, temperamental gods. who You never knew what they were going to do. And, and the waters were often personified as being this unknown danger, this terrifying coldness, this thing you never knew what it was going to do. And maybe when Jesus says that we're called to catch people, catch people to become fishers of men, it is to create pathways for people to rise up out of the cold dark of hopelessness, of 
of hurt, of heartbreak, of loneliness, of a past you feel like you can't escape, of anxiety, of worry, of recovery, of addiction, whatever it feels like you are reaching out for, swimming upwards for in the hope of a moment where you can take breath. And the world is crying out to be able to burst above the surface, see and feel light and breathe deeply. And perhaps that is who we're called to be as we follow the God we love because he first loved us, we invite people to fall in love with this God by loving them. God's love always goes first. It always takes us out. It always pushes us further. I'm gonna pray and invite the worship team to um, continue to lead us in worship. And um, and I'm aware that there's a, a couple of things that I think are probably happening in any group of people, in any community, is that for some of us, we're realizing that we're living lives where we're not reaching into deep water to offer people out. We realize that we, we have embraced comfort, and thankfully, the dirty, grubby hands of hurting people don't touch us, and that needs to change if we're going to be faithful. We need to, to cut away the safety nets that we've created around ourselves to protect us from the messy stories of the other people with whom our lives intersect, because that's what we're called to. And then for others as well, you're thinking, I'm the one in the water. <laughs> I'm the one who's hopeless. I'm the one whose heart is breaking. I'm the one who needs rescuing. And so wherever it is that you are, whatever it is that you're feeling, whatever it is that you're going through, I'm going to pray for us both. There'll be a space for prayer afterwards. You may want to talk to someone. You may want to pray. Um, it may be about reaching into the water or getting out of the water, but either way, we want to be people who are here for that. So let us pray. Father, I thank you that you are always the love that goes first, the love that is bursting forth, the love that is creating, the love that is reaching out, the love that is redeeming and restoring. We pray that you would that you would give us eyes to see our lives the way that you do. That you would give us the courage to tear down the, thing, the things that we have erected in order to protect us from, from other people who you love and who you know and who you have called us to. And I pray that you would and for those of us who feel like we're treading water, those who feel like we've dropped beneath the surface, those seeking out light or breath or peace, that you would reach out and take their hands 
and pull them towards the surface and that you would make us safe people around whom they can find their home as they journey back. Father, rescue, redeem, and restore us. Call us and challenge.